Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. So the big topic is this infrastructure bill that Congress is potentially pushing through in the next couple of weeks here. And they are claiming that they are going to be raising $30 billion a year from taxing crypto. As this bill gets ironed out, but even like further looking down the pike, what are you keeping your eyes on um, for the crypto community in the regulation space? Well, I I think we should all be very uh, sensitive and alert to... um, arguments that cryptocurrency is dangerous, is unregulated. And I think we should ask whenever we start hearing lobbyists and and congressional representatives talking in those terms, who is behind this and who is benefiting from this? I don't think we've seen a full court press against crypto yet, but I am certain that it's coming. I'm fascinated to watch this because when I was at UBS, I used to joke with the team, is like our tech was so bad, still is. Um, I say our, like you know, I guess they raised me, if you will. I was there for eight or nine years. Um, but we're so bad, they should have died, right? If you want to look at it, like they are Kodak in a digital world, right? Yeah. Um, but what has protected them and a number of other industries too, but this one in particular is the moat of regulation around their business. It's a moat that protects them. Um, I, I find this really fun. I don't. I feel like giggly. It is fun. It is fun. <laughs> Welcome back to your Yang Speaks weekly update featuring everybody but Andrew Yang. You're featuring yours truly, Zach Rauman, and the one and only Carly Riley. Good to be back, Carl. How we doing? Always good to be here. Always good to be oh, back for our Thursday apps. Oh, yeah. Today's episode's a good one. We're going to talk about Simone Biles, which everybody's talking about in the Olympics. And we are going to talk about this new cryptocurrency regulation um, that well, is coming down the pipe. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Go with and that. It hasn't passed yet. It's potential. Um, proposed, if you will. It's not, uh, but yeah. one of the things we want to do. It's a proposed regulation. Um, one of the things we want to do is talk about on this podcast what everybody's talking about to help you navigate it, and also talk about what no one's talking about because we've talked. We've had a lot of conversations on why there are narratives in our media, and want to help you navigate that. That's why we're here every Thursday, tuning in to this version of Yank speaks the 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 best version where he doesn't speak. That's not true or fair to Andrew. But it is true in this episode. Glad you're here. Let's dive in. Simone Biles. She has... So a couple things. As of... um, We're recording this on August 3rd for um, an August 5th episode when you're listening to it. Um, So as of today, um, here's where she stands. She originally, about a week ago from today, had dropped out of the Team USA all-around team women's gymnastics competition. Um, And actually... Entered back in and, and got a bronze medal um, on the balance beam individual event. Um, but she had dropped out because um, we were told mental health concerns. And eventually we learned they were called, uh, she said she had the twisties. And she just, the mental wasn't right. And this has sparked, frustratingly so, I think for you too, Carly, and for many of us, um, it has sparked a very polarizing, fiery debate um, and it's been, when I say polarizing, it's almost politicized, which is frustrating. But you have many on the left in particular, but many are saying, go on, Queen, we're so proud of you. You're the GOAT for doing this, for prioritizing mental health. You're amazing. You do you. And then on the right, um, or just people in general, are like, wow, that's soft. What the hell? You bailed on your country. You left us. Yada, yada, yada. Um, and this actually comes 
let's call it a month or so after Naomi Osaka, one of the, the best play, tennis player in the world right now, was a female tennis player in the world, had dropped out of the French Open after she was fined for not doing her press obligations, um, citing mental health, and she hates doing her press things, gives her anxiety, didn't want to do it. She's like, peace. So this is the pinnacle of this kind of mental health and athletics um, conversation. So Carly, but I think on the, on, the, on the left there, you said it's like a you-do-you thing, but it's more than that. It's a... It's a, you know, she's a hero. It's a, there's a, a narrative yes. of like, you know, Just what she did better. there was braver and, and more radical than performing and getting a gold. Right. And then I, I think it is very much the right that is the backlash to that saying, why are we worshiping people for not being able to do their jobs? That's stupid and everything right. that's wrong with like weak liberal culture. Yeah. Uh, I think that's and, sort of your dichotomy there. And I will, so I want, Carly, I want you to, um, so we had this conversation just casually, not thinking we'd bring it up on the podcast because yeah. I thought it was covered well and I thought the, the media was missing something. It was why I insisted on, on us having this conversation. But I was in the, me honest, this is a growth moment for Zach because I think my gut reaction was like the asshole. It was like, what the hell? You just bailed on the country. Um, screw you. Um, now don't get me wrong. I, I really like and respect. She's fucking amazing. Simone Biles, I, I respect her a lot. But I, that was my gut reaction. And I've learned... Um, through conversation with a number of people, which we're going to get into, um, where we probably should land as a society, not just like the opinion, but helping you guys navigate these kind of very polarizing, fierce narratives. So when you're at your cocktail parties or tailgates or whatever, and people talk about it, maybe you can be the voice of reason. So Carly, give us your thoughts on, I know you have thoughts on Simone Biles. So yeah. let's start there and I'll give my thoughts. Sure. Well, and I think you, your initial reaction the comparison you gave was like, look, Josh Allen being your quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, if Josh Allen suddenly like didn't want to perform at the Super Bowl, like, you know, that's I'd be very upset. Yeah, like, you know, you know, that that was sort of your comparison. And and I I think what's happening for people on the right or people like yourself is there's this feeling that the younger generation are like soft in general and we're very sensitive and it's the snowflake generation. And so like, oh, like we can't handle anything and trigger warnings and this and that. Yeah, and I think there is special. a certain, yes. And I think there's a certain level of legitimacy to frustrations around that. I tend to mm -hmm. be much more sympathetic to all of those things than I am critical of them. But I, I understand that that's like the impression. And so I think this triggered that for the, the right. Correct. And that's why they had that reaction. And for me, what was missing in that reaction is the recognition that Simone Biles is not that fucking person. Like, Simone Biles has won, what, four gold medals? Like, to be an Olympic athlete, your work ethic and your perfectionism and your commitment to grind it out day after day. I mean, the woman was sexually assaulted by her coach and, and is, like, the out team. there continuing to, like, work her ass off. Like, this person is the polar opposite of the kind of like special snowflake like he was like doesn't want to work that yeah. hard who's kind of like lazy like isn't gonna you know thinks they deserve to be the ceo without putting in the work like that is so not <laughs> who this person is and you know when i think about that type of person like they're hurt more than anybody if they can't perform like she has been working for years for these moments like she's not making this decision lightly or because she's like, oh, like, I just, like, like I'm having like, a bad day. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, this, like I just, like, I'm in my, I'm just, like, in my yeah. feelings. Like, that's not who this person is. And it feels like such a clear misinterpretation of this woman to lump her in in, a, in that category at all. Um, so that's why I just really felt like that perspective was, was way off base. And you said that and it opened up, like, uh, uh, like a a bell went off or it just like clicked in my head like oh yeah she's not the special she like in order to compete at that level you're up at five in the morning every day for decades um since you were a child beating yourself up on the mat and learning yeah. um and to be at the top of your game where she is i mean that many she is the greatest of all time she's the most decorated olympic olympic gymnast of all time um so i have five thoughts i'm gonna run down quick um, <laughs> oh boy i have five thoughts um one, be clear, Simone Biles is fucking awesome. She yeah. doesn't know anybody, anything. She's considered the greatest of all time. She was the last team member who was part of, who was sexually assaulted by Larry Nasser, yeah. um, who was the complete scumbag uh, from Michigan State University and the coach, or the trainer on the Olympic team, who I can't even say what this fucker did. You can Google him. God. Um, but she stayed, she did not have to stay after she won all those golds in Rio in 2016. Um, she stayed because she thought it would be a good voice 
for the girls who had aged out um, when they're going to be in the national spotlight in 2020 and then stayed an extra year in 2021 when the Olympics were canceled. Um, so she doesn't know anybody, anything she's won seven. I don't know if this includes the most recent gold um, medal. I think it's eight. I don't think, um, but maybe she's won seven Olympic medals, four of them, gold, one silver, two bronze. Um, a couple of those are team, but, um, and then world champions. I mean, she has won when she's not competing in the Olympics, we're not paying attention. She has 19 world championships. Like she is the greatest gymnast we've ever fielded and she's fucking awesome and we should love her for it. And I do. That's number one. Number two, I think millennials are soft. I think I'm soft myself at times. Um, I think our generation is a little pandered. Um, but I agree with you 100%. Simone Biles is not one of them to be calling soft. Yeah. And, and what I would say um, on, even on that front, and you know, we've, this is a separate debate. Like you and I debate determinism sometimes. And I tend yeah. to, I tend to a little bit err on the side of like, there is no free will, Sam Harris style. Like we are no, made up of we'll two things. We'll have a things. combo on that sometimes. No, no. Well, that, that doesn't have to be this combo. My point with this is like, I tend not to judge or blame people for being the way that they are, right? Like, mm -hmm. because it's a combination of your genetics and the way you were raised, both of which were out of your control that like made you such a way. And so if you can't really help the, like, I, I just don't tend mm -hmm. to be very judgmental. Open like, a can you of and I disagree. Right now. I know. <laughs> Look at me biting my tongue. Not going to okay. talk about it right now. But I okay. will say this, whether we think it's our faults as a generation or not, um, mental health in the United States objectively is getting worse a lot absolutely worse, especially absolutely. amongst particularly among young people so the yeah. mental health uh, mental health america which is a mental health nonprofit, so probably is skewing a little bias to they probably overcount rather than undercount but oh um, i don't know i don't know it's in their i mean how, are they get, how is it getting reported right like what is the... they do their surveys right anyway i'm not trying to i don't want to debate the sure. quality of the survey um but let's even if they're conservative even if even these numbers are aggressive you dial them down they're still really terrifying. 9.7, almost 10% of the youth in the United States have severe major depression. That's mm -hmm. one in 10 of our young people compared to just over 9% last year. So it's gone up in the past, let's call well, it the pandemic, I'm sure, was not, um, <laughs> did not has help. not been the environment um, to help mental health. And if health you issues. identify as more than one race, it's at 12.4%. So it's gone higher there. Um, and then the other one is 19% of adults, almost 20% of adults suffer from a mental illness. So... This is bad. All right, we're we're struggling as country. So mental health is a real thing. It's a, it's whether we want to call us soft or not. The fact is, like we're all mentally fucked right now. So um, it is a challenge, and we need to take it seriously because it's um, it's, it's killing us in many ways. Um, so that was number two. Number three, the twisties, which she talked about. I did some research on what the twisties are, and by research, I mean I talked to my friend. Uh, one of my best friends just, just had his we just had his wedding a couple uh, like a month yeah. ago. Um, Very fun wedding. Shout out. Yeah, shout out Max Sabert. He was a um, a college gymnast at um, and his girlfriend. They met. They were both gymnasts. It's kind of cute. Um, they were at William Mary Division One college gymnastics program. Sadly, no longer. I don't believe the program longer exists. They just canceled it. But anyway, <laughs> Max Sabert, my buddies, with the college gymnast at William and Mary Division One, very competitive gymnast. Him and his girlfriends. Here's what he had to say. He said, and I'm gonna quote him. Quote: I'm 99% sure. Simone, she did not, didn't just give up. In gymnastics, there is something called the twisties. It's when you're in the air and you have no, capitalized N-O, no idea if your body is flipping or twisting. Your wires get crossed. You don't know where the ground is and you get, quote, lost in the air. Happens to a lot of gymnasts. Happened to me, quoting Max. He said, it's really scary and frustrating. It usually takes a while to fix. It's like the gymnast's version of Tiger Woods getting the yips at the Masters, except he can't die from shanking a golf ball. Yep. She could. And I think this is such an important point because this was going to be the second thing I said about your Josh Allen comparison is your, you know, and football is even more, call it dangerous if you mess it up than golf, for example. But still, you're not talking about a situation where you can end up snapping your neck and paralyzed. Like, well, she so clearly was making, well, no, truly though, Zach, like, what can you contract People as be, a, leave the football field paralyzed all the time. So, um... Well, what can you contract, though, as a footballer? Like, just if you're mentally off your game. It, do, it does not feel comparable, right? Well, I, look, I, I do, I will say like, if your mind isn't right, gymnastics is a worst, one of the worst sports to be doing if your mind's off, if not the worst. Um, maybe right. it's like luge or other, some of the, some of the Olympic sports are people die. Um, people, die, someone died at the Olympics, the last winter Olympics we had, or maybe two of them um, on the, either it was luge or skeleton course. Um, so 
Um, mental's massively important, and the twisties are a real thing. If you talk to any gymnast, because that's what he said, like if you talk to any single person that I've competed with, they know what the twisties are. Um, and so when she went back to compete on the balance beam, she actually changed the end of her routine because she wasn't comfortable doing this flip in a safe way, or dismount, she said. Now, um, fourth thing I want to say is this is a very interesting perspective, I think, for all of us, because Simone's quote said, and she quote, she quoted, at the end of the day, we're not just entertainment, we're human beings, the we being athletes. And I think this is fun. And I think the internet has a lot to do with this. Um, but the dynamic we have between fans and athletes and ownership and athletes and all the pressures, the TV, the sponsorships, that sort of thing, that is changing. We do not own these athletes like we used to maybe feel like we did. They don't work for us. They. Once these athletes, in many ways, have established that they're good or great, they've established, and some, and some of the people we're talking about, if they've established their dominance, and they get paid, and they fulfill their obligations of their contracts to get paid, they can do whatever they want. So your Tiger, LeBron, Naomi Osaka, we're talking about Serena Williams, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, they don't know a shit. Um, we are lucky to watch them play. And it's one of the things I hate, all the hate that people put on right now, LeBron James, because He's whether you think he's better or not than MJ, we could we could we could have a debate on that on this podcast. But whether you think he's better than MJ or not, who cares? He's up there. Sit back and enjoy it because we get to walk the planet at the same time. One of the greatest of all time to ever do it is playing in prime time anytime we want. Um, so. They don't owe us anything. Once they're right, a certain level, LeBron I, James does not have to keep playing. Michael Jordan dropped out after three championships. He did come back. He's like, this is exhausting mentally and physically. Um, and I don't need it, it. It's a huge win on every level to me that as a society, athletes can start putting themselves first. Forget whether or not we even think it's legitimate or not. Like, or, you know, if, if she's true. sufficiently mentally unhealthy, if she's sufficiently hardworking to deserve it, like none of that really matters. Like at the end of the day, like she has every right as an autonomous individual to put herself first. And I Hell think she wants, she wants to go be a go canoe out in the middle of nowhere. Go for it. That sucks, but she can do it. One of the comparisons that I think is really valuable here is I think the the athlete Carrie Strug, is that her name? Have you, have yeah. you read about her? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's so striking. I mean, Carrie Strug performed in the 1996 Olympics and she hurt her ankle. Um, and then she continued to perform. She ended up winning the gold after she like severely hurt her ankle during one of the events. And, but it, it I mean, she landed her last, I was a kid when this happened. She landed her last routine and made like with the smile and then like collapsed in pain. Like she was, maybe she was showing, uh, showboating, who knows? From a long, no, she wasn't. From a longevity no. perspective, it, it actually hurt her career in the long run to do that. And what she said, and, and I think part of it was also being a woman, like she just felt like she wasn't allowed to stand up to authorities. Like there's mm. this, and and I relate to this, like there's this good girl thing that what, like, you know, whatever creates it, like you, you just have this feeling like you need to please other people. And mm. I think Simone and Naomi and these women who are like breaking out from that mold and like being willing to not please other people for the sake of putting their own health first is such a good message to be sending, which is why from out the gate, I, I loved this move. I understand though, like, do we need to make people like utter heroes for this? You know, the media is hyperbolic, but I, I think it's absolutely a, a fantastic message to send to people that like, oh, yeah. you know, you, you get to make your own decisions and it doesn't matter what you know, call it the grownups around you yes. or telling you you need to do, et cetera. I mean, look, if you want to talk about pressure and like, if, if you think you're, if you've ever felt overwhelmed in life, imagine being a pro athlete at top of their game. Yes, you get to play a game for a living. Yes, you're getting paid millions and millions of dollars. Yes, you're famous and superstar and you've got all these gifts, but it's incredibly pressure filled. And I remember watching the Tiger documentary on HBO, which is fantastic. And they put immense amount of pressure on Tiger. That first Nike ad before he had ever played a professional golf tournament, like an actual professional golf, he was still an amateur before then, set the stage for, holy shit, here comes Tiger. Now he delivered, but there's a, the pressure we put on pro athletes is, is enormous. And at a certain point, they have every right to be like, F you, I don't care. So this brings me to my last point, point number five. And this is what I believe, you, you might disagree, but I, I feel pretty strong about this. Number five. It is okay to be disappointed. And that's where I've like, you don't that doesn't mean you vilify them, but it's okay. Like to your the analogy you were talking about, I talked about if Josh Allen led the Bills to the Super Bowl, and on the day of game day, he's like, I can't see straight, I can't throw the ball straight, I'm gonna get hurt out there, I'm gonna hurt the team. And he dropped out and he said, I'm not playing today. I would be devastated. I'd be mad, I'd be angry, I'd be disappointed, but 
Um, I'd be happy he's safe, but I would be really bummed. And the better analogy is probably Tom Brady because he's actually the GOAT and he's already won six, seven championships, whatever it is. If he went to a Super Bowl to win the eighth um, and he's like, I'm going to get hurt out there. I don't feel safe. I would feel so disappointed about the Pats fan, but he doesn't owe me shit. Um, and we all... I mean, I think it's un-American to not want to go watch Simone Biles kick everybody's ass. Like, she's so oh, good. Sure. She made up her own flip. It's called yeah. the Biles. Like, that. That's we all wanted to watch that. Of I'm course, up at four it, in the morning it, fucking watching it. Of course, it's okay it. to be disappointed about, the, about not being able to but see I, her I, play. I that's different like, than, like, acting that out on her. But being angry, angry for sure. Agreed. Um, but I also felt like it thing. was... There was a sense that people were like, this makes her even better, or how dare you ever doubt the, the queen Well, I, I do think Simone. it makes her better. Because again, Maybe. she's setting a really good example for I agree with that. young people, everything we just talked about. So of course, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing that adds layers I to guess the way in which she's a role model. Being disappointed that you didn't get to watch your favorite athlete play is not an excuse to call her soft, because that's inaccurate. And that's kind of the big one here. Like, I think there's a media narrative. Or, or to judge her. Like, there's a media narrative that she's soft. That's thing. I mean, hell, she had the twisties and came back and won a fucking bronze medal. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, she's incredible. Um, we do have a mental health crisis. I do think we're a little too, like, me generation and, like, not doing our... Like, that, that's a whole nother conversation. Simone Biles should be above that. And I think it's here fair to help navigate that. Here is an interesting tweet. Somebody was saying, how is it that mental health is an okay excuse for a school shooter, but not for an Olympic athlete? And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on this. The idea there being that like the right will cry, oh, it's a mental health issue as soon as we have a school shooter, but like somehow they're dismissive of mental health issues when it's an athlete who suddenly, you know, can't perform at the Olympics. Mm. Do you think that's a fair accusation to level or an interesting like point to be made? Well... If your point is that the right um, that our political parties or pundits, politicians or whoever, the right and left have hypocrisies, then we don't. This is one of them. <laughs> um, if your point is to compare the two, I don't know. They feel like apples and oranges because no one's dying in, besides the athlete in a you know, an Olympic gymnast competition, but in a school shooting. Well, no, the point is like, OK, uh, uh, Republicans acknowledge the existence of mental health when it's convenient for them, right? So when right. they when they want to use it to not talk about a gun problem, then mental health exists and it's a real problem. When the left tries to suggest that's what's going on in an Olympic game, it's like, oh, whatever, we're not going to celebrate this. And and to right. be fair, I, I think I think part of the the narrative on the right was less like, oh, she's so weak. Like, you know, Ben Shapiro tweeted, like, I'm not going to act like she's a hero or like there's anything wrong with her dropping out. Yeah. Like, he I sort of took, I think, I think there was a lot of. Ben Shapiro and I always feel like that's when things have gone wrong. Um, <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't agree. I, I actually, I, I fully. Him, just be an ass I, I fully, fully think it's great that she did this. And I think it does set a good example. But I, but I, I do think that part of the reaction that I was having was like, okay, why are we glamorizing this to the extent that we are? Whatever. Yeah. Separate. I understand separate that. I didn't like the glamorizing either, but I was proud that she was like. And I, I think it actually is really first. healthy. Now, is yeah. there a, is there a, is there a risk that you have some people who like use this as an excuse to not push themselves to the limits that they very well could push themselves to because they're like, well, I'm prioritizing my mental health. I guess perhaps, um, but I, I in general think level, it's actually really it's probably, good. Yeah. Um, um, I think. Okay. How about this? If you win, you can. If if you win four gold medals, you can um, take a playoff over here and there. Here. Okay. Thanks. Good to, good to know. Simone I, um, Biles, you're a badass. It was awesome watching you. We loved your run. Um, I hope you come back. You're probably good enough to do it late into your 20s, even your 30s, but who knows. Um, and I hope she we'll gets be, better. I think the we'll twisties see. are a thing, and I hope she um, is able to get past them. Um, cool. Okay. My, I'm very excited about this no one's next talking topic. About. This, this no one is talking about topic, which, to be fair, in my world, everyone or many people are talking about it, but I recognize in, in your broader world, world. Like you're some like queen, like special. Sorry, you're on the crypto discords that Snowflake. I don't know what the fuck those are. Snowflake. <clears throat> no, it's this. In the new infrastructure bill that has been proposed in Congress, part of the way they are suggesting they will raise the money necessary to build all of our new infrastructure and replace all of our bad old infrastructure is through a new tax levied on, call it cryptocurrency users. 
And um, this has raised a lot of controversy in the crypto community, largely because the bill has been written in a way that's like incredibly tech illiterate. Shocker, shocker of all shockers. Congress knows nothing wow. about crypto or tech. Um, this is why you need young people in Congress who actually know what's happening there. Shout out Yang, Yang Gang, but you know what, what whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, or in, in the presidency. So um, we talked to my good friend, Dashiell Shapiro, who has been a longtime supporter of Andrew Yang. He and I met on the presidential campaign. He was a donor. He helped fundraise for us. He's awesome. He also happens to be a really badass tax attorney who he's worked with the Justice Department before, and he now works with a whole number of, of like crypto whales, basically, and helps advise them on how to pay taxes in crypto. So we talked to him to ask him a bunch of questions about how we should understand this new regulation being proposed, what might be coming down the pike in the future. It was super fun. It, it gets a little nerdy and in the weeds, but uh, I love it. Yeah, that. but for those of you thinking like, oh, crypto regulations, I don't know, this shit is going to matter, what it, matter oh, yeah. whether you like it or not. It's going to hit our lives. In a, it's going to be a tidal wave at some point, and this is the beginning of that. So Dashiell Shapiro and Carly and Zach, Breaking down the cool stuff right now. Tune in. Check it out. This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep lets you do it right by sending you one of 20 unique mattresses that's tailored for you. I took the Helix Sleep Quiz, takes only a couple minutes, and I was matched with a Helix Dawn mattress because I wanted something that felt firm and I sleep on my back. That mattress is exactly what I needed, but strangely enough, my kids now seek out that mattress in the house and want to sleep on it even though I did not order it with them in mind. If you have a high quality mattress, it is a game changer, a huge difference maker. Don't take my word for it. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com yang. That's helixsleep.com slash yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. All right, a big welcome to Dashiell Shapiro. Dashiell, I'm so excited to have you. You and I have been friends now, honestly, for a while since the Yang campaign. Uh, and I'll have you kind of introduce who you are and what you do, but here's how I have explained it to multiple people when talking about you. You are a tax attorney who is really carving out a niche for yourself as a bit of a crypto tax specialist, and you work with a number of big crypto players to advise them on how to do their taxes in this universe where the government has offered very little guidance <laughs> about what technically you need to do when making money in crypto. Yeah, so thanks, Carly and Zach, for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And I think that's a pretty good summary. Just to give a little bit um, of background to how I got here. I, I, After law school, I went straight to the Department of Justice Tax Division, and I was there for seven years, basically prosecuting tax cases for the government. And uh, I, I got into crypto early on, like 2013, 2014. Um, and it's been... It's been fun to see how the IRS and Congress try to get a handle on cryptocurrency tax issues. A lot of what I do is trying to figure out what the rules should be and how taxpayers can, can navigate uncertain situations and anticipate what the IRS and Congress are going to do. And, and that, that's always a, a tricky issue, but it's, it's, it's one that's really fun because my background's in both tax controversy and then financial products like equity derivatives and, and debt instruments. So those two worlds kind of collide in, in decentralized cryptocurrency financial products. That's awesome. Frankly, uh, you're like the man for the hour right now. You understand complex products and nonsense tax code, um, yes. which is what we're navigating right now. <laughs> so the big topic is this infrastructure bill that Congress is 
potentially pushing through in the next couple of weeks here, and they are claiming that they are going to be raising $30 billion a year for, from taxing crypto. Can you explain to us what's going on here, what this plan says in layman people's speak? Yeah, so just, just to back up a, a little bit more, um, there there's uh, probably anywhere between $600 billion and a, a trillion dollars a year that represents the tax gap. Now, the tax gap is the difference between revenue that should be collected if everybody was honest on their tax returns and then what the situation is that we have. Many Americans don't fully report and, and pay all of their, their gains that they should. So the government is always looking for revenue raisers. And whenever you have a, a large bill, um, many, many congressmen, senators say, we're not going to vote for this bill until uh, you can show us that, you know, every dollar is paid for. So mm -hmm. the cryptocurrency tax provisions uh, were born in, in, that, in that need to find revenue to pay for the infrastructure bill. Um, so they're, 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 they're probably, you know, a small percentage of the infrastructure bill, but still, I think it's $28 billion was the revenue score they got from probably Joint Committee on Taxation. And that's a, that's a sizable sum. And so it's, it's, it's an important issue. Um, the cryptocurrency tax provision was just, uh, came out, I think it was last week, and it, it generated a lot of controversy because uh, it was one of these provisions that's written in the back room without consultation from industry participants and then a bunch okay, of so people it's a bunch of like octogenarian congress people who don't understand crypto trying to write a tax crypto, crypto bill have a about how to get crypto <laughs> right well apparently apparently rob rob portman who appears to his office apparently wrote the language of the bill and he's supposedly the congressional expert on cryptocurrency so Great. that i, I don't know how much yeah do we say. feel safe or what <laughs> But the the bill doesn't make a lot of sense as as it was initially drafted, and it was it was criticized almost immediately by cryptocurrency industry groups, and then also Rob Portman, who's a Republican from Ohio, criticized it. Uh, Ron Wyden, who's a Democrat from Oregon, also criticized the language of the bill, and it, and they've resolved to go back and fix it. They've tinkered with the language a little bit, and uh, presumably the final language is not going to have the same defects that the original language did. So understanding that there might be changes and therefore not to harp on this too long, but, but quickly, do you want to just tell us how in this original version they planned to get the $28 billion a year? Like what are they taxing? What is, what is happening? Yeah, well, basically Congress, the, the reasonable uh, thing for Congress to do here, which is, which was, that was in the original legislation is to just say, if, if there's a, a broker who is, is facilitating cryptocurrency transactions, buying and selling cryptocurrency, that that broker should report those transactions to the IRS and that then the IRS can can see what, what tax should be paid, hasn't mm -hmm. been paid, and so forth. And that, in theory, doesn't generate a lot of controversy, right? Coinbase has had to turn over its customer records to the IRS. And in some sense, it's good for the cryptocurrency industry if there are these right. basic rules, because then... Coinbase doesn't have to worry about get, getting summonses every year for its customer record. They should they can just have a, a baseline that they communicate this stuff to the IRS. Their customers know that, and it doesn't have to be a big surprise every time there's a there's an enforcement action against Coinbase for their customer record. So that part is not that controversial. The controversy came in when the language describing who a broker is had very broad language that seemed to apply not only to Coinbase or Kraken or the, the, the known exchanges of the world, but also to sort of anybody that was uh, sending Bitcoin to somebody else or facilitating a payment or, or potentially even someone that wrote some software for a platform that was used by people to transact in cryptocurrencies. And that was the part that pretty much everybody said, wait, this doesn't make any sense. It's unworkable. Everybody's going to be subject to these reporting rules. And how can you report in on tax information, you don't even know who your counterparty is. You don't even know, you know, if you're sending Bitcoin to someone um, online, you don't always know who who's on the other side of those transactions. So it, it, it would be uh, unreasonable, I think, to, to require information reporting to the IRS for um, software developers, miners, and, and anybody that touches any aspect of crypto. And the part of the problem there is, 
it's it literally can't be done, right? And so what you you end up in a situation where you actually just shut down part of the industry, which then you're not generating the revenue at all, right? Like that then you're not getting the money that you want to be getting because you're just shutting down the industry because these regulations can't be complied with. Is that right? That was sort of the thrust of what I was sensing from it. That was what a lot of industry participants were saying. That was the up the outcry about this. I, I kind of find it hard to believe that the initial language would have passed anyways. And even if it would have passed it, it would have shut down the cryptocurrency industry. I think it would have been I think it would have been immediately obvious that these are unenforceable provisions. And I think most people would have just went about their daily business. You might have had some problems where, you know, funding funding from large investment banks and, and regulated entities might have been difficult to obtain if there was this cloud of uncertainty over it. But it, it just it would have been a provision that didn't make any sense, wasn't enforceable. So it's hard to imagine that it would have destroyed the cryptocurrency industry. But I, I think it is it, it would have caused a, you know, a cloud over the industry. And I'm, so gl- the, I'm glad it's being addressed. The initial outrage seemed to imply that Congress knew what they were doing and was like intentionally trying to overregulate this. And it sounds like or that was what I interpreted. It sounds like what you're saying is this was probably just Congress not having any idea what they were talking about. And we don't need to be too, the outrage was maybe overblown because they weren't actually trying to kill crypto. They were just being morons. Like, is that a <laughs> well, yes non-legal no. I mean, way of framing this? Yes. And I, th- I think the interesting thing here is that I think Rob Portman, it, he's he's described as the, the resident expert on crypto in Congress. And I think he actually might've been onto something with this language because um, he is sort of, zeroing in on this on the fact that there's a tremendous amount of cryptocurrency transactions that are not currently being reported they're not mm-hmm. currently subject to any regulation and i think it i mean you don't want to address this in a, in a in a revenue raiser that's tacked on to the infrastructure bill at the at the 11th hour it's not the best way way to address this but it, there is a real problem that eventually congress is going to have to to grapple with which is what do you do with decentralized exchanges and uh, exchanges that don't have custody over transactions. I mean, right now, if the government wants to regulate derivatives and lending, there's easy ways to do that. But what if most lending in 10 years or most derivatives in 10 years are not being conducted through brokers and exchanges, but they're being conducted through smart contracts and on decentralized exchanges where nobody has custody of those funds? Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's no there's no party you can look to for enforcement or for tax reporting. I mean, it 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 is a potential big uh, gap in the regulation and in the tax law, and nobody, I think, as of yet, knows what to do with that. So, it, I, to the extent there was any genius behind this original pr- provision, it was sort of well, we got to start capturing this unregulated area of commerce. But it, this certainly wasn't the place to do it. It wasn't the way to do it. I think if Congress wants to look at this, they're probably going to need to hold hearings, get testimony, understand what the industry looks like, and figure out what what legal and technological solutions there might be for the government to to get more information on what's going on on decentralized exchanges. This just wasn't the time or the place to do it. So my fear on this, uh, two questions, one about the, the actual regulations, but one is about the process here. My fear actually right now is... The infrastructure bill is a lot of momentum. It's finally moving. You've got the problem solver caucus behind it. You have like the rational members, let's call it, of of Congress being like, okay, we're going to find a bipartisan agreement here. Um, And this, to your point, is a relatively, I think future implications are massive, but in the short term, it's a relatively small thing to be hung up about. But the bill as it stands right now is that um, nothing would be implemented in the earliest until 2023. So from your perspective, is there, a, is there a world where they pass this as is or something close to it that we hate as from the crypto community, but we can amend it, change it, or just change the implica- in implementation of it in a couple of years when the rubber meets the road? I doubt it. I really think uh, the, the provision will pass. It, the, maybe the revenue score will have to be changed on it. Maybe it'll be revised down from 28 billion to some lower amount. But I I think there's general consensus that requiring cryptocurrency exchanges to to file information reports with the IRS, that's a no brainer. Um, Requiring, you know, Bitcoin transactions over $10,000 to be included in cash reporting forms, that's a no brainer. Mm -hmm. And that the broker definition 
will be narrowed. I think Bloomberg reported today that uh, Wyden and Toomey are working on, on, on narrowing the language for the broker definition. And I think that that's going, I, I find it hard to believe that this, exp that th this expanded definition of broker is going to make its way into the final version of the infrastructure bill. I guess it's theoretically possible, but I just think um, Congress, there, there's no need to, to have such a, um, a, a bomb thrown into the infrastructure bill. They just need yeah. to raise some revenue. There's pr they probably are going to be able to do that by, by just tightening up the information report using the existing definition of broker that's already in the tax code that everyone already agrees right. on. And just and just getting this through, getting some more revenue attached to the bill, and getting some more information going to the IRS from Coinbase and Kraken and the other normal exchanges. My other question is: so I have a good amount of experience personally with financial regulations. So I worked on Wall Street for a while. I took the Series Seven and Sixty Six and my CFA and my God, I take so many the Wealth Management Accredited Advisor, whatever the hell they made me take. Um, and then I've I've worked in the implementation of a whole bunch of are working around or with compliance and, and legal. Um, and this is my thought on financial regulations. I'm curious your thoughts, what this means for crypto. So I think smart regulations are needed and are very good, right? Where, where FDIC insurance, a big one, knowing your customer, there's some really, really important, I call it baseline stuff to be doing financial transactions, particularly when it comes to consumer risks. So I think customers, the clients need to know what they're getting into. Um, but the biggest problem with regulation is that most of the time, especially some of the really complicated stuff, um, banks and financial institutions just get around them. Um, and they, what they do is they end up lawyering up and hiring compliance experts and handling all the extra paperwork and na na na. It makes it hard, it makes it slower to do business and it makes it more expensive. And that doesn't actually, frankly, hurt the bank very much. It makes it like a pain in their butt. But it hurts the consumer because it's a commodity business, frankly, and they just pass that down. So what happens is the business is slower and more expensive for people who actually are trying to use the product, not actually helping them avoid getting into transaction or lose their shirt. Thoughts on that? I mean, I guess from your perspective, how would you regulate the crypto industry? Because what we love about it, there's a lot of reasons to love it. There's also a piece of why we love it is because it's not so regulated and it's a little faster and it's it, you don't have to go to Chase and do that. I mean, you remember the last time I waited in the lobby of a bank for something, it takes forever. So thoughts on what we could do to regulate this without actually hurting the crypto community and or consumer? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're hitting on exactly the, the main issue. So the, this definition of broker is, is, a, is a critical one. And as you can imagine, if you're an investment bank lobbyist right now, you probably want to tighten the screws in the cryptocurrency industry because um, when, you know, in the 1990s and 2000s and so forth, uh, any, any financial tra transactions in, in America went through a broker and they are held by a custodian. And, and that's how the regulatory system was set up. And, yep. and, and the, the brokers and custodians, they take a fee on every transaction that the they facilitate. It's a whole industry set up around middlemen and women. It's a whole industry um, set up around middlemen and it, and it creates enormous fees for, for, for banks. And uh, it gives regulators an easy place to say, oh, here's, the, here's where we go to look when we have questions. And, and so everybody's making money off of the system. And now cryptocurrency disrupts the system. Suddenly, I can do a transaction with you, Zach or Carly, and we don't have to pay a broker. We can do a complicated derivative transaction or lending transaction just between ourselves and, and do it through a smart contract and we don't have to pay a broker. We don't have to pay a custodian. Um, right. and, and so that's very good for the consumer in a lot of ways, but you can imagine the government and, and banks are, want to say, wait a second, this is an unregulated dangerous activity. We got to get back to everybody into the traditional broker system. I don't think that's where this is going to end up. I mean, now that we've discovered a way to do permissionless transactions without brokers and custodians, I think there's going to be just a tremendous pressure on finance to go into, into those areas through smart contracts. The question is, how does the government um, get its claws into it? And that is a tricky one. Um, well, they because can, not only do you not need a broker now for us to have that transaction like we don't even really need to know who each other is to do that transaction right and so right. how do you, like if you can't collect know your customer data like how does the government possibly get involved is that sort of the fundamental problem here 
that that is the fundamental problem so the government could take um a very aggressive stance in a number of ways one it's like, like the like the language that proposed in the infrastructure bill just expand the definition of broker anybody that touches anything is a broker and and that would be that would be difficult to implement another another way the government could take an aggressive stance is to look at the controlled substances act so um the manufacture, distribution, um, and production of controlled substances like crack cocaine, uh, those are those are those are all illegal. But the also what is illegal is profiting from the manufacture, distribution, or production of controlled substances. So if the government was to take a very aggressive approach, they could say, "Fine, um, we we're having trouble regulating decentralized exchanges, but anybody that profits from a decentralized exchange." is engaged in these illegal activities or in these reportable activities and they could just try to um, bring the hammer down on anybody that profits from the technology i think i think that would be a really drastic solution there's probably ways in between but what's going to be requires for the government to sit down hold hearings understand the technology talk to people that have developed decentralized exchanges and say is there an easy way for us to code in tax reporting into this decentralized exchange. Like perhaps if you have a decentralized exchange, you could have a way um, to where the government um, is just is just it, sort of seamlessly getting information about the transactions on the exchange and everybody that participates in the exchange knows that that's taking place. And maybe there's some additional costs there, but you're still saving money because you don't have to do it, go through uh, Goldman Sachs and, and UBS mm -hmm. in order to design your financial instruments. You can imagine there's going to be as soon as the the banking industry and and regulated industries wake up and realize what crypto offers and what is currently taking place and that more money is moving into these decentralized exchanges they're going to be lobbying for heavy duty regulation of cryptocurrency right. or they're going to be lobbying to make sure they get a they get a large chunk of, of these profits they get to play right um, um but so we're we're still before we're we're not at that point yet where everyone really I don't think Congress and investment banks are, are, are have even realized um, what's at stake yet, or they're just starting to now. Right. And it's I've been joking with Carly a lot. It's like the crypto as cool as it is. It's it's, it's this really incredible community I've like wading into myself. But the way it becomes mainstream is when my mother can have a crypto wallet relatively easily. She's in her 60s. And. That's never going to happen if there's a chance my mother could be you know, sending her money to someone that's funding terrorism or <laughs> God knows what, right? Um, so there's, a, there's, there's that step, and it's not the next step, but it's a step eventually, and that's when your, your players start to get involved. And I trying the happy medium to figure out is how do we stay decentralized but also centralized enough to open up to the mainstream. Or, and democratized, right? I yeah. think part of the promise of crypto is the democratization aspect, which, you know, the accessibility there in, in some ways, I mean, it's not technologically accessible because it's a little complicated, but it's accessible in terms of like, there aren't the same barriers to entry as like being an investor in traditional finance in some ways. Right. Um, okay, I have, I have two questions. One is to, to prompt you to an anecdote that if you don't really want to share or say, we can cut. Um, my first question, which will lead into the second, um, there was a big tweet thread that I think got a lot of traction as the crypto community was starting to freak out about this infrastructure bill. And one of the, the sort of claims in it was that there actually isn't a lot of tax evasion happening in the crypto community, though that is the impression among the government is that there's tax evasion everywhere. You work with a whole bunch of, frankly, crypto whales in paying taxes. What is your take on how much tax evasion there really is in the crypto community? I would say it's a similar amount of tax evasion as to any industry that doesn't get regular reports. Um, cash businesses, let's mm. say, you know, re local restaurants or, or taxi cab drivers that um, th there's Whenever you have an industry, and this is the whole reason for this controversy in the infrastructure, but whenever you have an industry that all of their transactions are not automatically reported to the IRS, you're going to see more people deciding not to report all of what they did in the last year to the IRS. Um, I think there's there's a substantial amount of tax dollars being paid on cryptocurrency gains. A lot of people, even um, without mandatory reporting, we still have a pretty good voluntary reporting system in America. Most Americans 
want to do the right thing, pay their taxes, report their income to the IRS. Um, but it, it's probably consistent with other industries where the IRS doesn't automatically know. So what's to stop you from trying to not report everything? The on your honor system, which is not sustainable for the government. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you have, we, you and I have talked privately about this a couple times, and you, you told me sort of a story that I thought was funny comparing trying to advise crypto people on how they should pay their taxes versus advising people in other industries on how to pay their taxes and the, uh, call it like aggressive risk-taking appetite of the different communities. Um, I think that I think it's kind of funny to to hear you talk about that. If, do you know what I'm what I'm saying there? Oh yeah. So okay. okay. So so your previous question dealt with whether people are being honest on their tax returns yes. or not. This question is dealing with whether people are taking aggressive positions. I I, I really distinguish the two in my yes. mind. Yes. Let's and say they are. They should be distinguished. Yeah. Let, one is like the, the IRS has issued clear guidance and you're not abiding by it. The second is they haven't issued clear guidance. So it's up to you to figure out what you want to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. So if you um, if you work in, as a tax professional with people in different industries, you see there's very different cultures across different industries. If I am working with someone in traditional finance and they ask me how to report a certain item on their tax return, what they want to know is how do I report this to make sure like there's no chance I'm going to be audited. The IRS is going to challenge my reporting. Pretty much, uh, I would say about 80 or 90% of people I talk to in cryptocurrency, when I tell them, here are the five different ways you can report this from most conservative to most aggressive, uh, they will go <laughs> with the most aggressive. <laughs> and if I tell them, well, this might mean, you know, you're going to have to like challenge this in, in tax court and spend tremendous amount of money and time fighting the IRS on this to, to prove that you're right. The response among cryptocurrency investors almost uniformly is, oh, that's okay. I'm, I am willing, I am willing to fight the IRS. And you just, mm -hmm. you don't see that. Um, uh, you don't see that in other industries. Cryptocurrency investors are very excited to uh, advocate for, for more favorable <laughs> cryptocurrency tax provisions, even if it is at a huge cost to themselves and, um, and their, and their time and money. It's like they'd rather fight the government. I think they'd rather fight the government to make the point. It's more about making the point to them than it is even maximizing their own profit. Because if they're fighting in court, then they're spending money on that. Are most of these folks younger males? It, it, there's, there's younger males. You already have a, a, a very libertarian-leaning group. Yeah. Um, people that got into cryptocurrency are more interested in alternatives to government control over yeah. over everything. Um, and then the, the other aspect of it is you just have a greater tolerance for risk because cryptocurrency investments to promote, as opposed to traditional equity investment or, you know, working in, you know, used car sales or, 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 or other mm -hmm. industries is extremely risk heavy. Yeah. I don't think young ma male is really the differentiator because you're talking about the finance industry writ large. That's, well, no, I guess, I'm, what, I'm like, I was going to say for what it's worth, like the textbook case of like evaluating risk profiles, like men typically are riskier with their money, younger men or younger people in general, yeah, are more riskier with their money, have a higher risk profile. And literally there's like, we have algorithm at UBS, you'd have algorithms. If you were putting um, an older female into a riskier profile, that would flag and you'd have to go like, you'd have to give like sign off the manager have to sign off on like breaking sort of risk profiles. Um, so, and this is just the, like the numbers, I mean, maybe the books are probably a little dated, but, um, that is what, um, at least a lot of the psychological studies and studies of, of wealth management have shown. So, um, that does not surprise me. Plus the crypto community in general, I think is used to things going to the moon and losing their shirt on a number of investments, um, which for a lot of us makes it fun. But if we want to go mainstream, it has to be a little less of a roller coaster and more of a maybe merry-go-round. Um, Dashiell, what are you, as we wrap this up, like what, as this bill gets ironed out, but even like further looking down the pike, what are you keeping your eyes on um, for the crypto community in the regulation space? Well, I, I think we should all be very uh, sensitive and alert to um, arguments that cryptocurrency is dangerous, is unregulated. And I think we should ask whenever we start hearing lobbyists and, and congressional representatives talking in those terms, who is behind this and who is benefiting from this? I don't think we've seen a full court press against crypto yet. 
but I, 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 I am certain that it's coming. Um, as soon as, uh, as UBS and Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan start to feel a hit to their equity derivatives business and trading business, and soon as more of that revenue starts going into decentralized exchanges and um, you know, lending pools and staking and, and design your own loan, design your own derivative products, we're going to... We're going to see a, a, a pushback like the likes of which you've never seen before yeah. in in U.S. political <laughs> history. And we're, we're just not there yet. But I think this little um, flare up when the infrastructure bill is a little preview of yeah. what's coming. Um, I got to say, I like crypto's chances. I think if like GameStop Reddit bros can bring down like Melvin Capital, I feel like the entirety of like the crypto <laughs> army can fight the rest of these institutions. I, but yeah. but that's maybe the underdog optimist in me. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly I certainly think uh, crypto is here to stay. These it's just what is the regulatory landscape going to look like in ten years, and that is that is up for grabs. Look, the the reason this is exciting is because we're talking about this because no one's talking about it, and the time to freak out is when everybody's talking about it because that means there are forces at play that are going to probably shaping the, both the narrative and the outcome here. The one corner of this that we haven't we haven't really touched in this conversation is also like Federal Reserve and, and Jerome Powell's sort of position on crypto, which has, has sort of been evolving. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if you think we'll end up with like a CBDC that they try to use to put like other stable coins out of business. Is there, is there anything on What's that you want to say, Dashiell? Um, central notes. bank digital currency. So like governments issuing their own proprietary cryptos, basically. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Dashiell, or is that something we should address as we're looking at the future regulatory landscape of all this? Yeah, I think I think we're going to see a regulatory battle for control over cryptocurrencies. This is it's also SEC, CFTC, mm-hmm. um, IRS, and there's going there's just going to be a realization that this is not a fad. Right now, I think if you talk to most people in government, they think that cryptocurrency is just a speculative investment. It's something that a bunch of people made a lot of money on, and they don't really understand it as an alternative financial technology to our current system, and that it it represents a real threat to regulators, investment banks, and brokers, custodians, exchanges, and that it represents an alternative way of doing business, which is cuts out fees, cuts out regulators, and nobody's really thought through how to deal with it. And I think it's th- that realization is starting to dawn on policymakers and regulators, but we're still in the very early stages of that. And as soon as um, more funds start flowing into cryptocurrency and people start playing around with the technologies and understanding what's out there, they're going to say, wait a second, we need to redesign our, our regulatory system to address this. And that's going to be a real fight. Hmm. I'm fascinated to watch this because when i was at ubs i used to joke with the team i was like our tech was so bad still is um i say our like you know i guess they raised me if you will i was there for eight or nine years um but we're so bad and we couldn't when you've got platforms you can see how much money you have you can make trades instantly i can send venmo in like there's all these instant transactions that happen at your fingertips through your smartphone technology ignoring the blockchain and UBS is not even close to that, right? And a lot of these big banks are not. I think Chase and Bank of America are pretty good in the app side and the retail side, but that's about it. Um, but yeah, you they said their have, systems are like duct taped together. Yeah, they're all made in the eighties. Like they're, they're awful. <laughs> but what has protected? Like they should have died, right? If you want to look at it, like they are Kodak in a digital world, right? Yeah. Um, but what has protected them and a number of other industries too, but this one in particular is the moat of regulation around their business. It's a moat that protects them. And so literally there for 10 years almost, and every time there was a new tech come, I'm like, this is gonna kill us, and it hasn't, and it keeps thriving. Even the remote world, when we all went, you know, during COVID, everybody locked down, UBS was thriving. So I am fascinated to see, does this blow it all up or just come part of it? Um, You know, I think there's pros and cons of both sides, frankly, because I think having a generally regulated financial i think our capital markets are a financial treasure or a, a national treasure of this country yeah. it's one of the best parts about america um it can create some of the worst parts too in terms of inequality and things like that but um being able to get raise money for any idea in the united states is great um so i'm that's to, that's what we should all be that's that's the fun part to watch i think it's gonna be wild to see if it bakes if it, if it just steps in line with the regulatory process 
or you know these big banks are bleeding we're gonna find out um, I, I find this really fun i don't i feel like giggly it is fun <laughs> it is fun um because they do cool. have a weird form of monopoly on let's call it a commodity like investment you know all the banks are technically the same um technically like there's some areas of expertise in each one but um they charge a lot of fees so we'll see um but dashel I love doing conversation of this while I learn and I know very little, not very little, but like the tip of the iceberg on crypto. Um, so thank you for not making me feel too stupid and teaching me. Um, and a pleasure to be with you, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Thanks, Ashel. This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online... I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing. You don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S VPN dot com slash Yang. Go to expressvpn.com slash Yang to learn more. All right. Dashel blowing my mind, which is great. Good find, Carly. Thank you for teaching me as always. Here's what I want to close with very, very quickly. Conspiracy alert. Oh, sad conspiracy, conspiracy alert. Though. It's a sad conspiracy, we'll but we need like a tinfoil hat up. for you to wear. I need a tinfoil hat. I need something ridiculous, but I'm freaking out. So I want to, I don't have enough research on it, but I'm planting a seed because it's going to, ha- I'm going to find, I'm going to try and get to the bottom of this. I'm going to get to my little like detective hat on. So this is, okay. What is happening? The Capitol riots on January 6th, there were, the Metropolitan and the Pentagon Police Departments. There are a bunch of cops and officers that protected the Capitol. And since January 6th, four, four of those cops have committed suicide. And, and three of them- And we know there weren't that many who were there anyway. Like it's not four out of the entire US military. Like this was- No, it was four about like well 100 defended. or so in the pictures. Yeah. I don't think it was 100. I mean, it's probably 50 to 100. I don't, they haven't released those numbers. You just kind of gather from pictures. It was like semi-defended, um, but four have committed suicide and three of them, they have not released their deaths. So Officer Gunther Hashida was found Not released the details of their deaths. The details of their deaths, excuse we me. We just know they so, killed themselves, but we really don't know anything beyond that. So Officer Gunther Ashida was found dead in his home on Thursday of last week, um, was confirmed this week. Uh, and then hours after that announcement, the chief confirmed that a 26-year-old 20, Kyle DeFreytag was uh, committed suicide on July 10th as well. Um, and then Howard Liebengood died by suicide days after the insurrection. Um, and DC officer Jeffrey Smith died by suicide later the month. Um, in January, shortly after the attack. So that's four. And my heart goes out to those families um, because that had to have been a traumatizing experience. Um, They are fighting over whether these deaths were um, in the line of duty. Um, This. Wait, what do you mean? So the department is saying it was not in the line of duty. This was a suicide. And the families are going to argue that it was 
uh, oh, in the for line the of duty. Three they're probably going to or for for all of them. In, for, for I believe all cases. of them are arguing this, um, and they're going to probably because it has to do with the pension, I imagine, um, because they get a pension payout if you're killed in the line of duty. Um, I don't know. If so is the the argument so for for folks that were found at home dead, the argument is this was still like a a workplace hazard essentially, or that this was a, a this was trauma induced by being in the line by of, being of on duty, the job. and therefore. Okay. Or where my conspiracy theory is going off is that there's something deeper Jeffrey Epstein shit. So I don't know. Any yeah. Yang gang can go down this rabbit hole, dig in, let it, me know. I do think and I don't mean weird. this by any disrespect to families. I don't want to make light yeah. of their deaths. I'm very, very clear. This is serious. And it's um, and look, if it's if it's just like above board, like this is just really sad. But if something fishy's going on, um, I would like to get to the bottom of it. I would like to understand it why. Is, that is so that does seem so strange. I mean, you know, I'm sure, obviously, being a cop, tough job, not trying to get political with this or with that, but, you know, you, you can imagine a lot of trauma, PTSD, that can result in suicide. So I'm, I'm sure you have a higher rate of death by suicide among cops in general, but that does seem like an exceptional number. And very underreported, very hush-hush. Yeah. And, um, well, there, there's probably a sensitivity to the families. When you talk about three of the four details haven't been reported, I mean, that that might be partly the families not wanting those details out yet. To your point, if they're trying to argue that this was in the line of duty for pension reasons, for funding reasons, right, whatever, right, right, right. they might not want details being reported So this could yet, all be normal, but, but it could be a conspiracy, and I'm digging into it. So that's what we're leaving, with you, leaving you with, y'all. Come back next Thursday. Maybe I'll have more info on that. We'll talk about something else that's awesome. Enjoy your week, folks. Talk to you soon.